I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston, and this is No Quarter, the classic video game podcast. Is that and what we are? Yes. Yeah, that's what we it are. It is. The classic arcade game podcast. Oh, that's it. Arcade. It's new. It's that's right. early days. <laughs> yes, and we've made it to episode number two. Quite a milestone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we're a classic podcast. It's a, it's a classic podcast about arcade games. We're old hands at this. <laughs> we're old well, and we're hands. Is, yes. <laughs> So, hello, Mike. Hello, Carrington. How have you been? Excellent. How have you been? I've been playing Donkey Kong. I have been playing Donkey Kong, too. I wonder if our listeners guessed that that would be this week's game from the audio sample you gave last week. Well, I imagine they did. Yeah, I don't think this was too difficult. I've been playing Donkey Kong, and I've been doing well enough to tweet about it. You did. You tweeted right in my face. <laughs> I did, because I got a good high score, much better than I normally do. And it wasn't even really a particularly good high score, maybe nothing to brag about, but it was, it was good for me. So sure. I bragged. I bragged in your face, Mike. <laughs> and speaking of in our faces, uh, we had some very nice uh, listener feedback from the last show. Do you want to tell our listeners about some of the people who, who wrote in and tweeted, etc.? Well, we'd had a couple of tweets, and I'll let you handle them in a minute. But I thought I'd start out with one from a guy named Ken, and I have no idea how to pronounce his last name. It's pronounced name. Gagne, I believe. Is it or is it Gagne? Yes. I, I'm no, not no, sure. nobody would pronounce it Gagne. That would be incorrect. It's definitely yeah, Gagne. It's, it's kind of what I thought. Um, mm. Well, it's not like we're ever going to hear from him again anyway. But he wrote in and, and, and said, uh, Carrington and Mike, thanks for producing this podcast. Uh, Pac-Man was indeed developed by Namco. But it was released in the USA in USA arcades by Midway, a division of Bally. You know, the thing is, I knew that as well. And so I don't know what we were talking about last time. I haven't gone back and listened to the show, so I'm sure we said it wrong. But I, I, I knew it was Namco and then, and then Namco Midway here in North America. So I don't hmm. know what I was, eh, you know, first show jitters. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. He goes on to say, I love Carrington's story about finding this game, not in an arcade, but in a hotel in White River Junction. What a memorable experience. I have a similar tale for how I discovered Super Mario Brothers. Mike mentioned now he plays the game on MAME. In lieu of the hotel's original cabinet, where did Carrington achieve his recent low score? Ooh, a little dig at you. <laughs> it was a low score, too. A very shamefully low score. So I'm bragging about my, my Donkey Kong action. I achieved my low score on Pac-Man and my slightly less low score on Donkey Kong using my tabletop MAME machine. Um, so I... I have built two MAME cabinets myself, one based on a PC, and then this one, it was my second attempt, and it's uh, a one-player edition based on an Xbox. So I ripped apart an Xbox controller and, and wired up the buttons to that. In the last RCR podcast, it was sitting behind me. So if you watched that one live on YouTube, then uh, you would have seen it running through a, a demo uh, over my right shoulder. So it's famous. It is not that famous, <laughs> but it's a good little box. Yeah, I dig it. So. Okay, so Ken continues. Um, I was hoping you'd discuss port, Pac-Man ports and was glad when you mentioned the Atari 2600 version specifically. I accurately guessed Mike's worst three arcade games, Atari <laughs> games, woohoo. Uh, also on the home front, Pac-Man creator Toru Iwatani came out of retirement to design the levels for Pac-Man Championship Edition and Pac-Man CEDX, both originally for Xbox Live Arcade. These games inspired the latest arcade version of Pac-Man Battle Royale, released in 2011 on the franchise's 30th anniversary. It may be the first Pac-Man game to feature simultaneous multiplayer. Um, as you observed, one would hope that by the time one reaches Pac-Man's 256 level, one would know the maze layout 
and could play the game blindfolded, but you don't need to get that far to be that good. The rudimentary AI of Pac-Man was such that given identical input, the ghosts will react the same way every time. There were actual books published that documented these patterns, but my oldest brother deduced them on his own to the point where he could play the game blindfolded. Arcade operators would earn so few quarters on his long gameplay sessions that they would bribe him to play any game but Pac-Man. What a racket. That is pretty cool. I it is. I am not that good, have never been that good, and will never be that good. Nor will I, no. And uh, Ken, uh, we'll wrap this up here right now. Uh, Ken says, finally, I can't believe you guys didn't like Pac-Man Fever. My first exposure to the album was at CD release in 1999, and he gives a link to iTunes. And, and because, because he brings that up, I wanted to note here that it's interesting that, in fact, if you bought the CD release, the one that, that came out in 1999, that's been re-recorded. It's not the original songs that came out on the LP in the 80s. Uh, I did some digging around. I couldn't find any history on on why they decided to re-record. Um, you know, I don't know if they lost the masters or... Uh, they just were too tired to dig them out of the basement, but um, the music is actually slightly different. So interesting. I yeah. did not know that. But what I and another thing I did not know was that Pac-Man Fever, the entire album, was available on iTunes. In fact, available on iTunes in multiple formats. You can get the regular album that uh, Ken had linked to us. You can also get like an extended Mega Mix album that has every track and then every track again with. Buckner and Messina or whatever the name was <laughs> talking over the track, giving like a history of the creation of the song. Like this, this like dir- director's commentary, yeah, director's commentary version also oh, wow. available on iTunes. So, wow. but since Ken linked it on iTunes, I went and listened to the little preview bits of each of the songs. Mm-hmm. And I have a confession to make. I you found it catchy it. enough. I actually picked it up. I actually bought it. It's only like, it's less than $8. And I've listened to it a couple of times. And the album actually in a cheesy way has grown on me. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I was mocking it last week, but now it's in my library. Uh, so I now own a 1982 KTEL production <laughs> of the entire album, Pac-Man Fever. And I've actually listened to it a few times now. I dig it. Well, where do you think I got the sample for last last week's episode? <laughs> <laughs> I own several formats of this album. So I'm I'm a convert. So Great. Oh, Great. how quickly I fall. So we, we got some other feedback as well. Okay. Um, Rex Allison wrote in a really nice email giving us some feedback on the show and complimenting us and then talking about how he was glad we pointed out the world's biggest Pac-Man because he had discovered that with his son and was playing it and really enjoyed it. And he also wrote in to tell us about MIT Scratch, which is something I hadn't known about. And you can find that at scratch.mit.edu. And it's a site where you can create your own interactive art and music and games. And there are lots of arcade recreations on there, including recreations of Pac-Man. And there's one incredibly faithful recreation of the Atari 2600 version, like that specific version. And I played it online and it's, it seems indistinguishable from the Atari 2600 version. They have done an incredible version remaking it. So it's as bad as you remember. It is just as bad and silly looking as I remember, but really accurate. So I was surprised at how many, not just Pac-Man, but lots of different arcade recreations are available on that scratch.mit.edu site. So it's definitely something worth checking out. looks like a fun fun playpen to both create things and play with them. Yeah, I spent several hours digging around on that site just playing those games. It's it's a lot of fun, and you should definitely check it out. Yeah, quite a sinkhole for time and really enjoyable. Yep. 
And so we also got to, uh, so in addition to the email feedback, uh, I'll shout out to a few people that sent us stuff on Twitter, that newfangled thing all the kids are using. Uh, Chris, who's uh, Dr. Quest on Twitter, uh, and Paul, who's Yesterbits. They both sort of followed us over, from, or followed me over, I guess, from the RCR podcast. They're both listeners and, and good, good feedback guys on that. So, hey, guys. And uh, Chris had written to uh, send us some crats, congrats about it and also to talk about uh, Midway, which was the big uh, maker for him uh, as a kid, like spy, with particularly mentioned Spy Hunter, Rampage, Narc, Joust, mm. and Tapper, all yep. games that I'm positive we are going to be talking about in full episodes. Absolutely. Uh, big fan of, I'm a big fan of four out of those five. And I'll, I'll leave it to the audience to guess which is the <laughs> one I don't like. And um, Paul had sent us a link to a show um, called Dan for Mayor, little little Canadian content show, and a really funny scene in which uh, one person who works at a cafe is uh, talking to a gal who works there as well. He's saying he can't he can't work because he's got to go work on his Miss Pac Man, and she's like, "What is that?" He goes, "You know, Miss Pac Man," and she's like, "Is Pac Man a thing from the '80s? You know, the decade I was born oh, in?" No. And he's like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, it's an arcade game." She goes. Is an arcade game a thing from the 80s? Oh. And I was like, oh, talk about making me feel old. I have a story about that, actually. Tell me um, your story, Michael. Tell me your story. <laughs> Do you remember um, Palm, the, the PDAs that of they course. used to make? I had a, uh, a Frogger game on Palm. Frogger um, Palm. The, yes, or something like that. And this was a few years back when Palm was all the rage. And I was over at my uncle's house for Christmas, and he has... Uh, a couple of boys who are several years younger than me, and I was playing this game, and they had never seen this game before. They'd never seen Frogger in any in any form. They didn't know what it was. Wow. And they're like, what is that game? And, and I showed them, and, and after I put my jaw back in place, <laughs> showed them, and they're like, after about five minutes, like, this game is boring. And they went and, and played Half-Life or something like that. But I was just shocked that, that there was somebody that I knew alive that, that didn't know what what Frogger was. Well, maybe that wasn't the best version of Frogger, though. Like, maybe if they played the original arcade game or something, they would have found it at least slightly more interesting. I think it was faithful enough where you could look at that and go, oh, that's Frogger, if you knew what Frogger was. But they didn't know what Frogger was. They did not know what Frogger was. And then I felt very old. <laughs> it happens. And then um, the last guy I want to shout out to is uh, Dan Beeston from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast. He tweeted us about his favorite game as a kid, which was Rock and Rope, which is a Konami uh, cabinet from 1983. And it was also the first arcade game he actually completed that he got all the way to the end and and beat, which is a really good experience the first time you do one of those on a cabinet. So uh, Rock and Rope was his favorite. I never defeated that. I always got, there was a waterfall level, like third or fourth level, and it always beat me. So I don't think I can say that about any arcade cabinet game. I don't think I've actually finished one. Nope. No. Well, a lot of games I really got into, you you couldn't finish. They would simply go forever. Right, yeah. As far as I know. And then the last uh, bit of feedback we got was uh, um, I, I got some, a couple of people wrote in to, ex- to gently explain to me how wrong I was <laughs> about the resolution of Pac-Man, throwing mm. out that tiny little number of 512 by 480 or so. Turns out I overestimated by a lot. <laughs> the actual resolution of the arcade Pac-Man machine is just 224 by 288. Hmm. Crazy. It runs on a 3 megahertz Z80 chip, or Z80 for you Americans. Um, but yeah, just 224 by 288, which 
you know isn't an outrageously low resolution for something like a a, a low res game on a an early eighties home computer, but I really didn't realize it was such a low resolution on the original arcade cabinet. I'd imagine that most of those games from that era shared shared a, a similar uh, resolution, especially if they're using the same processors. Mm-hmm. And I looked around, and it and it turns out that yeah, most of them are resolutions in that range, which is about a quarter of the total resolution, half in both directions that I actually thought they were. So yeah. I was vastly overestimating. Yeah, and in fact, the game we're about to talk about also runs on a Zilog Z80 and has a standard resolution of two twenty four by two fifty six. We're going to talk about a new game. Well, the game itself isn't new, but we haven't really talked about it much, and we're 20 what's, minutes into this podcast already. What, what's it called? That would be Donkey Kong. That sounds fun. What's, <laughs> what is Donkey Kong, Mike? Uh, Donkey Kong is an arcade game. I, I know you're surprised to hear that. Um, that was developed and marketed by Nintendo. Um, it was, it was released in 1981. Um, and it was what they, what they call a platform game where your folk, your main goal is to, to take your man, in this case, Mario, uh, through various levels by climbing and, and jumping, uh, over, around, or through various obstacles. Well, that sounds like fun to play. And did you know, I always thought... And kind of heard that Donkey Kong was the first platform game, but it turns out it was not. Do you remember what the first platform game was? Would that be Space Panic? You're very good at this game. <laughs> yes, it was indeed <laughs> Space Panic. And the thing is, I knew Space Panic. I played Space Panic and, and many games that were based on it. And it's obviously, even just looking at it, was an earlier sort of game. It came from 1980, uh, Universal Release. But I completely spaced on it and thought Donkey Kong was the first platform one. Well, I, I may be good at this, but Wikipedia is even better. <laughs> so, you cheated. <laughs> as, as much as I would love to take credit for that one, I really can't. Oh. So, at, at any rate, you once you drop your quarter in, you get uh, you get um, a little animation of this large ape climbing up a scaffold-like structure, carrying a princess over his shoulder. He bounces up and down a little bit, which knocks the girders slightly out of place, conveniently making it easier easier for you to climb up. And then the game begins, and he he starts by throwing barrels down at you. And your main goal is to climb to the top, survive, get past all of the barrels, and rescue the princess. And of course, as soon as you get to the top, Donkey Kong grabs a princess, goes off, and you're off to the next. I level. hate it when a monkey grabs my princess. I do too. And we've actually, you've already touched on a couple of things that really made Donkey Kong stand out and made it special for the time. The first was this idea of a game with a plot. I mean, it wasn't just your spaceship, their aliens, shoot them all. We had this, this, there's this whole little plot described partially on screen and partly from the side art that this guy with this monkey, monkey gets loose, has grabbed his, his gal and... You're, you're a construction worker or carpenter, so the Mario hasn't become a, the plumber that we we think he's going to be, and we'll talk about the origins of Mario coming up, I guess. And then sure. you're trying to get your 
your gal back from this this mischievous villainous monkey who's not really a villain but is is quite mischievous and and has stolen your gal and each level you're trying to get back to her and you can actually win the gal and then start again and it adds sort of more levels in to make it more difficult as you as you replay it but there is actually a rudimentary plot to the game so that's something that made it stand out and that whole idea that at the beginning it opens with that little cartoon the monkey's got the gal and he climbs up and he and he jumps up and down making all that noise and then that levels the platform and then that cartoons end sets the stage for the first level of play so that was a really interesting approach to the game so a lot of these things really made the game stand out in you know when when this game first came out sure yeah it's it's definitely a, an interesting way to provide motivation um for the player uh to and kind of to get an understanding of, of why he's playing other than just to feed quarters into a machine um and potentially to keep them coming back exactly and back they did this is a game that made tens of millions of dollars and uh, mm, was yeah. one of the big big hits of the of the first golden age of of arcade games Ma- massive massive success with this one. Oh yeah N- nintendo in fact built their uh, built an entire gaming empire uh, not only on donkey kong and its various sequels and spin-offs but on the actual character of mario himself Exactly. Who was not named Mario at the point that this game was designed? He was That's just right. a he was... video man or something like that. Video, video uh, guy. I, I think they. I think they. St- they. They. The creator was going to call him Mr. Video, yeah. uh, and they ended up calling him Jumpman because in the in the initial designs of the game, Mario uh, Jumpman couldn't jump, and and so once they added that feature in, then they went with Jumpman. And in fact, the the creator of the game is is. Um, Quoted, I think, as saying that, that if he had called it Mr. Video, Donkey Kong would have disappeared and you would have never heard of it again. Or certainly Mario wouldn't have been a big yeah. thing. You've got to give him that name and that sure. character. And it is amazing sure. how both the Donkey Kong spinoffs and, of course, the, the massive number of Mario spinoffs really did forge an entire empire for, for Nintendo. And this was the origin sure. of them. Like the, this is the, the beginning of both of them. And it's also interesting that this is a game named after the villain in a sense i mean you play mario but the game is called donkey kong so right you know villain gets top billing i also read and this is something i didn't know but kind of makes sense when once you think about it that it was originally going to be a popeye game and the idea was but they just couldn't didn't get the licensing but the idea was you were playing popeye and uh, Bluto had stolen olive oil and he's at the top hmm. and you're the Popeye to run up there and and that was going to be the game but they couldn't get the licensing so they just you know remade the characters but the whole the impetus was sort of in the in the form of going to make a Popeye game and then Nintendo did license them and, and made a different Popeye game that's interesting mm-hmm. although I guess it's you know a standard rescue the rescue the the girl uh, plot line mm-hmm. so I mean that's that's an easy one to implement and in fact uh, as, as you were saying that, I was thinking of uh, uh, Dragon's Lair. Remember that game? I do indeed. And the plot's basically the same, where you take you take Dirk through the various levels of the dungeons to, and jumping in, on platforms and getting or around failing to. to rescue the princess, or, or failing in pretty spectacular <laughs> yes. ways. So that's yeah, that's a, it's a fairly. Uh, I think that's a common plot to a lot of these games. Well, I think the whole damsel in distress structure is very common. That's what I was with, going uh, for. Yes. Look, look at how I phrase it. I think I actually read that somewhere. <laughs> so for me and whoever wrote that um, will say, yeah, that, that structure 
I wasn't obviously originated here and is very common in other media and stuff, but um, this is an example and, and one of the iconic examples of that sort of thing. The gal, in fact, the damsel who is in distress and is in a dress in this case is not actually Princess Peach, who I kind of assumed it was her because of the whole Mario thing, but it turns out this is actually, they named her Pauline. So this is a, a different gal that Mario hmm. was, was heading after before his solo games. Quite the skirt chaser. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and of course then Mario goes on to uh, Mario Brothers, the standalone game in 83, when he gets a last name and becomes Mario Mario, not just regular old Mario. Right. And he got a brother in Luigi. Ex- oh, Luigi Mario. So the Mario Brothers. That's and right. then they got their own movie. Oh, Mario Brothers. The oh, movie. Lord. We'll just pretend that never happened. We will. And Now, um, speaking of origins, though, one thing I always noticed but didn't know until I researched it why there were two, Donkey Kong comes in both a red, red cabinet and a blue cabinet. And I'd seen that, but I just assumed, well, it's just one of those things where they put out multiple cabinets. Oh. But oh-ho, that is not the case. I was not aware of that. Tell me uh, more. I will tell you more. It turns out red cabinets came first. See, the, there was a game called Radar Scope before this that mm-hmm. was, uh, they were going to be making about 2,000 copies of that. But 800 or so got made, and it was a massive flop. So Nintendo of America, the guy running that, who was, I think, the nephew or something of Nintendo of Not America, calls Nintendo of Not America and says, oh, dear Lord, we're going to go out of business if you don't send me something to do with these cabinets or a better game to put in them. So that's why they come up with Donkey Kong, send it over. They rip out the guts of the radar scope cabinets, which were red cabinets. And so the first roughly 2000 Mario or Donkey Kong cabinets that are made are the red ones. They're the earliest ones. And the first 800 or so. So if you look at the serial number and you have the serial number started with, uh, I think it was 10,001. So 10,001 to roughly 10,800 in that range would be radar scope cabinets. The very, very first run of Donkey Kongs where they took radar scope, yanked out the guts and converted them into Donkey Kong. And then they had all these unused cabinets ready to go for radar scope, like the, the next 1200 or so that were red cabinets that were empty. So if you have a serial number between roughly 10,900 to 12,000, then you've got that second run that was an unused cabinet intended for radar scope, but that got made Donkey Kong instead. And then because of the massive immediate success of Donkey Kong, they said, hey, let's make a cabinet for it. And for some reason decided we're going to make blue ones. That's actually the color we want. So then they made blue cabinets. Wow. So if you're looking to collect one, clearly, I, I guess, if you want an original one, you'd, you'd want your eye on an early red one, and ideally an early red one in the first 800 serial numbers, because that would be your, your earliest, earliest versions. And probably the most expensive to get a hold of today. I looked around, and strangely, it doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, yes, a, a good-conditioned red one seems to go for quite a bit, um, but a really great-conditioned blue one doesn't seem to cost, for some reason, a, a lot less than a red one. I would have thought, but not being a collector i don't know but my gut would have told me hey everyone's going to want the reds would be the most collectible they'd be the most Ooh. rare you'd want a really early serial number and and they do command a bit of a premium but it's not crazy it's not like you're going to pay you know a thousand dollars for a red one and only a hundred dollars for a blue one they, they all cost a ton of money interesting so donkey kong itself um like we said massive massive success and similar to pac-man it spun off uh, a crazy number of other games like it, it had sequels it had knockoffs it had ports to other platforms discuss <laughs> <laughs> i'm throwing that topic to you oh gee thanks 
Well, like you said, um, there were many, 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 many different Donkey Kong games, and, and it appeared on pretty much every platform you could play a game on. Um, this is not a game that I spent a lot of time playing on other platforms, you know, home arcade games and things like that, uh, home consoles, that sort of thing. Um, but I, there were I, the ones that, that come to, to mind uh, just off the top of my head were, were ones like Donkey Kong Jr., where you play, they, they sort of switch the story up. So now you're playing as Don, the son of Donkey Kong, and your idea is to rescue him from the evil Mario after he's imprisoned Donkey Kong. Oh, that evil, evil Mario. Yes. And there was another one called Donkey Kong Country um, that I remember. I remember playing it, though I don't remember anything about the game itself. Oh, sure. And then there's been lots of. You know, versions of Donkey Kong in other Nintendo games. If there's a racing game, he's in there. Like no matter when Nintendo wants a big, big character, in comes Donkey Kong. Right. Well, Mario Kart was, uh, a, I guess, a very popular series or, or games. I'm not really sure, but I mean, it, I think Nintendo kind of built the success of of its the home the first home console, the the NES, uh, on games like Mario. And I think Donkey Kong is a good sort of villain for Nintendo. Nintendo's never been a hardcore, you know, let's make games with lots of blood sort of company. So it makes sort of sense that one of their big, big villains would actually be just sort of a slightly mischievous monkey. Yeah, he's big and yeah, he's the bad guy, but he's not like a horrendous, terrible bad guy. Even Bowser is worse than worse than Donkey Kong. So he's kind of a bad guy, but also kind of a hero. So he lets him cross over. And I think that's been part of the success as well. Well, it, uh, Nintendo's always been very family oriented, so they they avoid you know shooting and killing and that sort of stuff. And, My family um, does that too. <laughs> we try to avoid that as well. Mine, not so much. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, the interesting thing though is that that you know, we, and we'd mentioned this earlier. Donkey Kong had a, a very long and successful run and continues to this day. But uh, the secondary char- character Mario also did. If anything, Mario got bigger. Yeah, and in fact, according to this massive Wikipedia article article on Mario, uh, he has appeared in over 200 video games since his initial creation. Oh, yeah? Name oh, them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go, Mario, go. Yeah, Mario games as a whole have sold more than 210 million units. So, yeah, I'd say that Nintendo's success is uh, due in no small part to, to the popularity of Donkey Kong and Mario. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then the game, like you were saying, appeared in many, many different um, other versions. So there was the knockoff games, like right in the in the arcade. I remember one in particular called Crazy Kong, mm, um, yeah. which uh, not a very good game. It was a modified Crazy Climber hardware. Um, and there was an import version of that at a little arcade near uh, my high school. So I played that. Uh, it was, though the one we had was actually called Monkey Donkey, which is, a great, which is why I played it, because I like the name Monkey Donkey. <laughs> and, but I think it was officially supposed to be called Crazy Kong, and we played that one. And then, of course, uh, Donkey Kong itself, like you were saying, appeared in, was sort of ported to lots of things. I remember in particular it being big on Coleco because it was the bundle cart with the ColecoVision. So Coleco had, had uh, licensed it to put on cartridges. So when they came out with ColecoVision, um, it was the cartridge that came with the ColecoVision. So it was their big one. And then they, Coleco then ported it to Atari 2600 and then Intellivision. And then Coleco also, which you reminded me of um, before the show, they made those little tabletop mini arcade games. And Donkey Kong was one of those. Yeah, there was a whole series of those games. Yep, there's a whole series, and Donkey Kong was one of the more popular ones. I never played the Donkey Kong version. Neither did I. I had uh, Miss Pac-Man and Galaga, but I didn't have Donkey Kong. I had Miss Pac-Man and Galaga. Ah. 
well, that's awesome. Those it are the is. exact two that I had. <laughs> and so neither of us played the uh, Donkey Kong one. Oh, well. well. We will have to play the Coleco tabletop ones when we do uh, Ms. Pac-Man. Oh, definitely, yes. And mm-hmm. then there was, um, i trying to think of other versions. There was the Game & Watch version. And, uh, and t- oh, and, you know, the uh, I forgot, in the Famicom, which later became the, the NES, it was one of three launch titles for the Famicom. So the mm. other two were uh, Donkey Kong Jr. and Popeye. So all that whole Popeye stuff coming back. Cool. So just huge, huge, huge. And then, just like Pac-Man, just like big old Pac-Man, you know, you think I'm going to another song here, but no, I'm not. <laughs> it had its own ar- uh, arcade-based TV show cartoon so part of the 1983, it did. You it lie. did. <laughs> it did. I do lie, but it did. And you got a spot. No, it. Uh, 1983 and 1984 had the Saturday Supercade. I don't and remember that. Did Donkey Kong was one of the characters on that, and there was also Frogger, Donkey Kong Junior, Cubert, Pitfall Harry, and some others. I remember Pitfall Harry had like a a cougar or a mountain lion named like. Mr. Claw or something like that. It was weird. Maybe know. it's was, good that I don't remember that. <laughs> I wasn't a big fan, but it, just like the Pac-Man show, it ran for two seasons, but Donkey Kong didn't get his own show. He was just part of the Saturday Supercade. Now, can you buy that on DVD? I, I'm going to say that you can, Mike. Just you. No, oh, just me. Thanks. We mentioned earlier that uh, Pac-Man had uh, the How to Win guides, and and Pac-Man was not alone in this. Uh, Donkey Kong actually had a couple of guides as well. Uh, One of them was put out by, I think, Consumer Reports. Um, The Video Master's Guide. Yes. No, no, no. They put out one called How to Win at Donkey Kong. Oh, I don't know that one. The Video Master's Guide was the one written by Steve Sanders. Right, because that's the one that I have read before but didn't actually own. Right. And and the one that uh, that Stan- that Sanders wrote, you can find in PDF form in various dark corners of the internet if you really want to read it, or you can pay a bunch of money uh, through eBay. The the interesting thing about that book actually isn't the book; it's the guy that wrote it, Steve Sanders, who appeared in the 2007 film uh, King of Kong. He got his early notoriety for being busted for lying about his score. So did the book tell lies too? I I don't know. Um, did he follow the book and the book doesn't? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I don't know if the techniques are incorrect or I, I would think not because every there's every indication that he actually was a very good uh, player, certainly better than than I ever will be. But um, he was saying that he, he he said that he got some astronomical score in the seven or eight millions or something like that. Ooh. Um and it turned out that his high score was closer to 300,000-ish. Oh. <laughs> um, this is all documented in the, the King of Kong 
movie, which you can buy, or I think you can watch it on Netflix. And now. I would recommend that movie. You I would. really, really enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Yes. That's enough right there. Any movie with that title, people should go see, because <laughs> that's true. an awesome title. Have you seen the, the film yourself? I have, uh, several times. Um, I thought it was very good, but there was some controversy uh, about the film after it was released, how... Ooh. It had been edited to unfairly portray the film's villain, Billy Mitchell, as a villain. And as and Walter Day and Twin Galaxies as sort of his uh, cohorts in trying to, to subvert the hero, Steve Wiebe, from achi- achieving his high score. Oh. Um, and, they, and it turns out they're not actually evil. They're more like Donkey Kong, but just <laughs> misunderstood. Well, <laughs> maybe so. I don't know. Um, so, you know, it, and it is Hollywood, and, and like you said, it's a great story, and I'm sure that they probably took some liberties that maybe they shouldn't have. I would definitely recommend watching it at least once. But what's interesting about The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, oh, I love that title, <laughs> is it's all about trying to get a high score on Donkey Kong. And you and I, Mike, we also tried to get a high score on Donkey Kong. And I got a relatively high score. Yeah, And, and a very score? high score for me. And, I, and, and it was a good enough score for me that I took a picture of the screen and posted it on <laughs> Twitter. Because you'll never so get that score again. I, I got 50,700. Nice big round number. 50700. Wow. Take that, Mike, as I tweeted, in your face. <sighs> Well, you and know what? what? You? I got 50,701. So there. <laughs> you lie. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm afraid I am lying about that. Ooh, um, what was your high score? Did I win this week? Oh, you won by quite a large margin. Um, <laughs> I love large margins. <laughs> Tell the audience how much I won by. <laughs> Let me, allow me to humiliate myself in front of all three of our listeners. Um, my high score this time was <clears throat> 12,200. Oh, say it again. Say it again. <sighs> oh, Twelve thousand two hundred. It sounds better the second time. <laughs> That's awesome. So I have completely destroyed you, and thus ends the competition. Yes, uh, <laughs> this week. Oh, I'll get you back. On. Almost certainly. I'm coming for you, Carrington. <laughs> so, um, uh, well, I did a, a fairly decent score. I did find that Donkey Kong, one thing we haven't talked about is one of the structures of Donkey Kong that I, that I like very much, that I never really got my head around until going back and, and really sitting down to play it. Because this was a game I played casually in the arcade games, or mm-hmm. in the arcade, and I, and, and I quite liked it, but I was never really a dedicated Donkey Kong player. So in my mind, Donkey Kong was really about that first level where you're going up the, the platforms. Because often that's as far as I could get. Right. Or that second level, which I always found easier, which is where you're running around and you have to, when you step over a rivet, you get rid of the rivet. And eventually when you get rid of all the rivets on all the levels, the middle part collapses. Donkey Kong falls to his poor little doom and you get your gal. So that kind of seems to end the game. And then you go back to the first level again. And that's mm-hmm. often as far as I would get. So in, in young Carrington's mind, that was the game. It had two different screens and you'd go back and forth between them. Little did young Carrington know he uh-huh. only got to see those bits because he kind of sucked at the game. <laughs> and there are, there are other screens as well. There's, a, there's two other ones, at least two, that I got to this time. For all I know, maybe there's more. But there's a, like a, a factory floor with, with um, moving conveyor belts and pies on them. It's a very weird floor. And then there's also a floor with uh, uh, moving up and down sort of elevators uh, on, 
on treadmill things. It's kind of weird, hard to describe. Um, so you get to the treadmill one first, and and I guess it, every time you go through a level, it slots in another one of these these extra layers to to yes. extend to extend that that run up to beat the monkey. Yes, in fact, there are four screens. Um, the first screen, as you as you mentioned, was barrels, and then the next one is factory, where you run around. And I found that on factory, factory is easy to run the score up because you get three hundred points for those little bonus items. Like I think there's a an umbrella and a pie or something else, and a hat. I think yeah, was, and then you get a hundred points for every one of those rivets that you take out. So it's easy to get. And and one thing that we should mention here is that. In addition to the scores that you get by jumping over barrels, which you get 100 points for jumping over one, you get 300 for jumping over two at once. Um, there's also a um, bonus counter that starts running um, up in the upper right-hand corner when you when when the level starts, and I think it starts at like 6,000 or something. Something it, like that. Yeah, yeah, it counts down to zero. When when it if it gets all the way to zero and you haven't completed the level, you you lose the guy. He dies. Um, but it's easy. It, Scoring on Donkey Kong is sort of a strange thing I found because um, you can get very far in a level, and if you are not jumping uh, jumping the barrels, you're just dodging around using the ladders. You can get all the, almost all the way to the top and not score a single point. Right? Yeah, and um, the first level in particular, if you don't jump over any barrels, you're only going to get your bonus time score. Right, That's it. Right. So. The scoring kind of varies widely. I mean, I've, I played I played one game where I got to the rivet level and I only had I don't know like ten or eleven thousand, um, and then and obviously not this time around. But in in the past, I've I've only gone through the first couple of screens and I've you know got gotten upwards of twenty to twenty five thousand points because it's all based on how many how many barrels you jump uh, or smash with the hammer, uh, how many items you collect. Um, and when you get to the top, how much is left in your in your bonus time? And as a casual player, I do find the second screen, or what is really the last screen on each run, the one with the rivets, th- to be the easiest screen at all. Because the bad guys won't cross over. Uh, like once you remove a rivet, you can jump over that gap, but the bad guys can't. So it's really easy to get on one side, and you're relatively safe because they got to go around a ladder to get near you, and you can have you can sort of take your time. It's much easier level than with all those barrels flying at you. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, the, the, the hardest level is elevators, the the third screen, mm-hmm. um, and that's where Jumpman has to to climb up and down on these elevators and avoid fireballs and bouncing objects. Um, and I I get slaughtered almost immediately in that. On that level, I don't get very far at all. So I I don't remember actually having... I've seen the fourth screen, but I don't think I've ever played it. Yeah, I almost never get there. I got there this time, um, but I didn't get back there. <laughs> so my <laughs> score doesn't do well enough to get back there again. Right. In fact, I, I don't... No, actually, no, I think I died on that level. I never got past that level. Uh, but I did actually get to it. But it's then it's crazy hard with these weird platforms going opposite directions and sure. they change directions. Ah, really a pain. At Donkey Kong at that point takes a, a typical approach... Uh, of games of the day where you only have those four screens and as the game progresses you just repeat the screens and it gets it gets faster yeah and, like, and more hey, you know what? At you. this game was really hard you know what we should do let's make it quicker right. come on <laughs> and, right. and the second time you're on the first level again like you, you feel good like you, you played the game a bunch <laughs> of times as a kid and you're used to it and you finally get past that first level and get to the second level it's even easier with the rivets oh i'm amazing <laughs> so you get back to the first level the first time ever you go over this guy i'll start running and the first thing donkey kong does is throw the first barrel at an angle whereas if you were to just start running it's going to hit you right on you right. have no yeah, to it's, stop it's time to come right down on your head if oh. you start by running 
which I guess everybody f- probably finds out the, f- the first time. Like, what, what, what was that? You threw the barrel right <laughs> yes. at me this time. Then you learn to time it a little bit. You learn to just basically pause for a second. But yeah, yeah like to- totally new experience. So little tricks like that, I think, actually add to the flavor of the game and make it really... It, this, like Pac-Man, is a game with incredibly simple controls, although it's got a button now, so a little more complicated you than Pac-Man. You have one button. Yep, but jump. it's got a tiny resolution, a very simple idea behind the gameplay. But what we've done to move on from Pac-Man in a sense, although this game comes out barely after Pac-Man, is we add this whole plot running with it, multiple different stages instead of just, hey, here's another maze. You've got a whole different way to go. And well, it's all we've done is add the one button. It does add a lot more to the gameplay because you've got this idea of a hammer. So you can pick up the hammer and you become, well, no, sorry. I was going to say you become invincible, but that's something I get burned on. Playing as a kid, I always assumed when you had the hammer, you were invincible because you could just run it. You would hammer out the barrels. And they go, turns out, no, no, the hammer is invincible. But if something gets past that hammer, <laughs> you, you die. That's which right. I, only, I never knew, I guess, because I've always had the hammer and I've always been really careful. And this time I was just like, oh, don't worry about it. Got the hammer. Can't be touched. No, yeah. it turns out not true. Yeah, if you time uh. it wrong, um, you end up dead. And the other disadvantage, there are two actually to the, to the hammer, is you can't climb up ladders while you have the hammer and you can't jump while you have the hammer. And you can't get rid of the hammer when you have the right. hammer. When you you'd like have to, to. So I've done. Time out. Please go away, hammer. I'm hitting the button. I'm trying Sorry. to figure out a certain combo that gets nope. rid of the hammer. You no, there's no getting rid of the hammer. And in you fact, there are, there are um, players out there, you know, that... The, the good players, not not us, of course, you know that I've seen have discussions in, in various forums across the internet about uh, the play style, whether they tend to to jump the barrels and leave the hammer alone, or take the hammer to try and get as many points that as they can that way. But if you don't take it, then it's never hammer time. Oh, one oh. of us had to say it. One of us had to say it. Oh. Mike. I chose it to be me. I'm walking off the show. <laughs> show two. <laughs> Mike's already gone. That's right. <laughs> So, um, so basically, the, the gameplay continues um, at at this point. And like Pac, see Pac Man, you got the level two hundred and fifty six, and then you had that messed up screen, and then that was the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, with Donkey Kong, there's not really an end level because at some point, and it, it it appears to be different from game to game and from cabinet to cabinet, the machine either hits some sort of code bug or it runs out of memory, and Mario just dies right in the middle of your play. And that's the end of your game, and that's called the kill screen. And I, that's never a screen that I'm going to see. <laughs> it's never you know? a screen that I'm going to see either. <laughs> Except, you have to be well over a million points, right. yes. uh, roughly a million and fifty or so, million one hundred thousand. Um, yeah, neither of us are going to get there. Uh, yeah, and again, this is this is a, a case of the creators not really think being foresighted enough to think that anyone would play the game long enough to get to that point. So they probably, the, the levels, the screens themselves were play-tested and play-tested well, but the game itself, beginning to end, wasn't play-tested all the way through. And why would well, it be? Well, no, because who would be insane enough to even try to do that? Right, why would it be? Well, it turns out Steve Wiebe would be insane enough. <laughs> Billy Mitchell, <laughs> Billy would, be Mitchell would be insane enough. <laughs> right. yeah. Mike McGinnis would be insane oh, enough, no. just not talented no, no, enough. No. <laughs> well, there is that, yes. <laughs> so we've talked about... We've talked about Donkey Kong uh, and its origins, origins of the character, origins of the cabinet. We've talked about it being on basically every gaming system under the sun and, and, and going on to the modern day to have a million different versions. And we've talked about us playing and, and the, the, the movie that's based on it and that kind of stuff. But what about the, the future? Is there any word on new Donkey Kong stuff coming? Do you know of well, anything coming out? I'm sure that Nintendo will continue to produce Mario and Donkey Kong um, titles as long as they continue to sell, and so far they've sold very, very well. I, I'm not a huge um, 
console player, so I don't really follow those titles that much. And and I'm more interested in and when I do play, it's I'm more interested in the Xbox and um, uh, PlayStation type games than I am the more kid and family friendly uh, Nintendo Wii and Wii U. Well, okay, but as far as we know, Donkey Kong is uh, is here to stay. Oh, I think so. Yep. So what's next for us? Mike, if we have, well, if you have bested Pac-Man and I have destroyed <laughs> Donkey Kong, and that's how we're going to spread those rumors on the internet, what would be coming up next? What will we do battle with next week? Well, um, I'm going to play you a little sample right now. And again, this is probably a, a fairly easy one for for people who would be listening to this sort of podcast. So you um, basically insulted the people who don't know what it is. Well, of to course. say that they don't know video. I'm games. shaming them into learning <laughs> about classic arcade game history. I'm trying to help these people. <laughs> help them with shame. That's right. That's nice. right. <laughs> Good technique. I like it. I'm trying to better you through shame. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be our podcast slogan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I like it. So I look forward to playing our, our next game. I'm yeah, actually excited too. about this one. Yeah, this is one that I play quite a bit. So I'm... This is one I have not played in got to be 15 years. Well, see, don't say that because now if I don't beat you by a large margin, I'm just going to have to quit. <laughs> From now on, the better game is, I don't think I've ever played this one. Never heard. Oh, look, <laughs> right. a million points. That's right. What? Never heard of it. This is a game that I, that I quite liked way, way back in the day on the standalone arcade cabinet, but I have never played any version other than that. So it was ported to other things, but I never played one. And while I really liked it in the arcade, it wasn't one that I pumped a ton of quarters into. So I'm actually not that experienced in this one, although I do have a real fondness for it. It's a game that I enjoy quite a bit. So I really look forward to playing it and, and, and talking about it next week. All right. So um, enjoy everybody and we'll see you in a week. Absolutely. Thank you for podcasting with me, Mike. Thank you, Carrington. See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent to noquarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, all the original material in this show is released to the public domain. 